Amen. Amen. All right. Well, good morning. Okay, that was, that was all right. Good morning. There we go. <laughs> it is good to be here. My name is Jonathan Newfelt. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the campus pastor here, and uh, it is a delight to be able to be here this morning, and uh, we are going to be continuing on in our series in the book of Philippians. So if you have a Bible, I'll invite you to find your way there. And as you do, I want to ask you, have you ever been in a situation where someone was explaining something to you and you realized very quickly you had no idea what they were trying to tell you, right? Have you ever done that? Someone's explaining, usually this happens to me with directions, right? Someone's going to tell me how to get to their house. And they're going to say, all right, you just go down this road, take a left, a right, go 4.2 kilometers, you'll see a big tree, you'll take a left and then a right, and you're right there. And you listen to that and you're like, yeah, I'm just going to Google that because there's no way I'm going to find my way there, right? It's hard to sometimes picture exactly what they're trying to get you to do, to try and picture it in your head as they're explaining it, right? Sometimes this happens at work, right? Your boss will come and give you a project, and they'll explain the whole thing to you right there, 20 steps of what you need to do for this project, and you're sitting there and going like, I remember three of those? Shoot, right? I haven't worked a lot of construction jobs in my life, but one summer I I was working doing some construction and uh, I was on a site by myself. I was just doing cleanup. I I wasn't building anything amazing. Um, So I was just there, but my boss called me and he said, actually, I have a job for you. Can you just quickly frame up this one wall? Now, I have no construction experience, right? I've never done this before in my life. And he says, oh, no, it's not that hard. All you got to do is, and then he told me. He explained everything I needed to do to build this wall in this house. And I was realizing I have no idea what I'm going to do. Thankfully, thankfully for me, the, the house wasn't finished. There was no drywalls. And so I basically just looked at one of the walls that was there and figured... I'm just going to try and copy that. They're about this far apart. All right, I'm going to build them about this far apart, and just so on and so forth. And that's what I did, because that's all I could try and figure out. Right? I needed to see the physical example before I could make sense of the instructions. I needed it to be in a, in a very practical sense in order for me to understand that and be able to actually do anything. Well, I think the same is true in our spiritual lives. Oftentimes, we can listen to a sermon or or someone talk for a while, and we think, wow, that's great. I have no idea what to do on Monday morning. I have no idea how to actually apply any of this into my life. What do I do? Well, this morning, the Apostle Paul, as he is writing in this passage, is going to be very practical. Right? He's going to start off with these big instructions. Here's what we are called to do. And then he's going to bring it down very, very narrow and say, here's what you can do on Monday morning. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to open to Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 12. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. This is what the Word of God says. It says, Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, or uh, what does our text say? Um, Arguing. All right, thank you. Different versions. Um, Without grumbling or 
questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Well, that's as far as we're going to read this morning. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Oh, Lord God, we are so thankful, Lord, that you speak to us very, very clearly. But Lord, even as these are very clear words, I, I pray, would you not... Uh, allow us to then go away unchanged, but that we might hear what you have to say, that we might be people who are, are working at their salvation by your strength, by your power, and for your glory. Father, that actually our lives might reflect what you have done, even in the very words that we use. Lord, we ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we are, we are diving into this passage, but really this is, this is the conclusion of what we had looked at last week. So if you were here with us last week, you'll know we walked through the first part of, of chapter two, and Paul really introduces this theme, and he's talking to the church, and he's saying, what I'm calling you to do is be unified in the church. And how are they to do that? Well, they were to humble themselves. It was humility and unity working together in order to actually see the church grow and be strengthened. They were to work hand in hand. And, and to give them an example, Paul talks about, well, the example of Jesus himself, right? Jesus is an amazing example of what humility actually looks like because he is God himself who humbled himself to become a man, not only just a man, but, but, a, but a servant. And he was a servant that was obedient to death, even death on a cross, right? And that was not for his own benefit. In fact, it was for ours. He died on our behalf. And so with that example, so Paul says, so humble yourselves in the church. But Paul doesn't even stop there. He, he continues on and he says, even as Jesus died on a cross, so he is now glorified. He is lifted up, seated at the right hand of God, given the name above every other name and before whom all knees in heaven and on earth should bow before him. Right? It's, this, it's this beautifully complex and, and amazing passage that Paul walks through, but, but we're left a little bit wondering, okay, but how do we actually do that? What does it actually look like to, to apply that kind of a text? What do we do in response to this example of Jesus, to what Jesus has done? What do we now do? How do we act? And so Paul really answers that in our passage. It's why he starts verse 12 with the word therefore, right? As in everything that he's just talked about, therefore this, here, here's the conclusion, here's how we are to act. And Paul answers it in two ways. He starts really with, with the theological, the, the big picture stuff. How, how do we answer this? How do we respond to Jesus in this big sense? And then he narrows right down and he starts talking about some very specific things, doesn't he? starts talking about complaining and grumbling and how we are to handle that in the church. So this morning, we're simply going to follow Paul's outline here, looking at sort of the big picture, this, this salvation by God's power that's being worked out in our lives down to the very 
small minutiae of how we work that out in our lives? What does it look like to put that humility on display? So let's start with the big picture then, all right? The, the, the grand theological answer. Look back at verse 12. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Right, Paul has been writing this letter to the Philippian church. He, he knows them quite well. He's had a history with this church, and in fact, he planted it many years ago. And so he's saying to them, look, I, I know you're doing well. Right? I, I know that you are, are obeying. So now, or when I was there, so now when I'm not there, I want you to continue on. I want you to keep on obeying. But then he adds in this little thing, this little phrase that probably catches us off guard, doesn't it? Work out your own salvation. It sounds really odd, doesn't it? It sounds like Paul is saying, hey, guys, you, you got to work this out, right? You, you better figure out exactly how to, to, to do this whole salvation thing. It's sort of like a, like a math problem that Paul is setting them, all right? Figure this out. It's a puzzle. Put it together and make sure you do, right? But, but doesn't that seem odd? Because what we know about the gospel is actually, it's the exact opposite, isn't it? It's that Jesus did everything. Jesus did what we couldn't do. He worked out what we couldn't work out. He was the one who actually obeyed God. He actually died for our sins when we couldn't do that. He paid that punishment, and it's only by faith, by our trust in him, that we can be saved. So why then does Paul say, work out your salvation? Well, let me suggest that it's not a puzzle. Paul isn't talking about working out like a math problem or, or some sort of riddle that we have to unpack. Actually, what he's talking about working out here, it's, it's the other definition we sometimes use, right? Exercise, right? We talk about going to the gym. I'm going to go work out. I think that's more similar to what Paul has in mind. He's talking not about figuring out your salvation, but putting it into practice, to actually exercising what God has done in your life. In fact, one, one theologian, I think rightly, puts it this way. He says, we are called to work out what God has worked in, right? God has worked in us salvation. That, that's what we have in Jesus. It's that he has done all these things, that we couldn't do it. It wasn't by our deeds that we are saved. It's just by faith because of Jesus. And so what God has done for us, so now we begin to work out in our lives. In fact, I think a gym is actually a helpful metaphor for us because when you go to the gym, you don't create new muscles, right? Right? It's not as if you go to the gym and new muscles that have never existed suddenly appear. No, you exercise and you strengthen the muscles that are there, right? That's what going to the gym is. That's what Paul's talking about. He's not saying create a salvation or, or make it brand new, but rather exercise, work out the salvation you have in Christ. In fact, it's, it's what theologians call the process of sanctification, Right? That's, that's growing to be more like Jesus each and every day, working out what God has worked in. And so Paul says to this church, this is what I want you to do. I want you to be putting your faith into practice. But there's a couple things I want us to notice about how he gives this command. The first is just simply this. 
It's actually a command to the whole church. It's not just a command for individuals, though certainly it does apply, but it's actually a command Paul writes to the whole church. Work out your plural salvation, as in you are meant to do it together. It's not supposed to be a one individual, one by themselves. Actually, it's a church body working together to showcase the gospel in our lives. We're meant to do this together. Second thing I want us to notice is the fact that it's actually a command. Paul doesn't say, wait for it. Paul doesn't say, you know what, just just sit by and eventually it'll start happening in your life through some kind of mysterious process. No, he says, work it out. Actually, you're going to have to put some effort into this. You're going to have to actually get up off the couch and start moving. So let me give you a bit of an example. I, I do try and head to the gym a couple times uh, a week, and I have a workout partner, Eddie, uh, who holds me accountable because I can't even make it to the regular gym without someone holding me accountable. I certainly need someone to hold me accountable with spiritual things. So we, we go to the gym, and usually it's in the mornings before work, and so usually get there, and I'm kind of tired, a little bit sleepy, don't always feel like, oh, do I really want to put in the effort today? Uh, not really. And, and Eddie has this, this brilliant little saying that I, I quite like. He'll look at the bar, and he'll say, well, it hasn't lifted itself yet. I guess we're going to have to, <laughs> Right? this beautiful little dad joke that he has, and uh, (laughs) it's a great way of putting it because actually it's exactly right. You can stare at it as long as you want. It's not going to move itself. How often do we as Christians do exactly that with our lives? We, We stare at things, stare at sin that has been sitting in our lives forever, and we think, why hasn't it moved yet? I've been a Christian for, for, for a decade, 20 years, however long it's been, and, and the sin is still just sitting there. Why is that? And I think sometimes we're sitting on the couch, staring at the bar, waiting for it to move. And I think what Paul is calling us to do is to actually get up and start working on it to start actually dealing with it, not to be lazy in our spiritual lives, but actually push on and say, I want to see this growth, this this demonstrable growth in my sanctification that I can actually be more like Jesus. See, when Paul writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy, this is what he writes. He says, rather, train yourself for godliness. He continues on. He says, for while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Right? The key word there is train, exercise, discipline yourself. Actually put in some, some effort in order to be growing in your Christ-likeness, to actually be more like Christ. And it's going to take effort, and it's going to be a bit uncomfortable. Hebrews chapter 12 says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So our Christian life actually takes effort, takes time, takes some discipline to, to plan out and say, how am I actually going to get, get rid of these sins in my life? How can I actually be representing Jesus more? 
In fact, Paul is calling us to, to work it out, strengthen your faith, see it demonstrated more in your life. And then Paul adds just this last little phrase at the end, with fear and trembling. It's kind of an odd thing, I think, for us to, to read. We, we probably wouldn't add that last little phrase, but Paul does here because he recognizes the gravity of what he's talking about, right? Actually, to, to, to do these things should cause us to, to tremble just, just a little bit, just a little bit of fear as we deal with these topics and, and talk through and, and try and represent Christ well, right? It's a little bit like driving in a car, right? If, if you're going to drive in a car, you're probably going to go home in a car. You need to have just a little bit of healthy fear of what that task is, right? Because realistically, what you're doing when you get in your car, you are strapping yourself and your family into a metal box and hurtling it down the road at speeds which would certainly kill you, hurt you, or hurt other people on the road. Actually, driving takes just a little bit of fear, healthy fear that says what I'm doing has a seriousness, has a weight to it so that I'm not reckless and hurting other people. If that's true just for our driving, how much more is it true for our spiritual lives? As we show people what it looks like, what, what our salvation looks like, when we show people what it looks like when Jesus has an impact in our lives. We're not dealing with temporary things, we're dealing with eternal things, right? It's not bodily training, it's eternal training. And so it should cause us to just tremble a little bit a healthy fear of who we are talking about, of who we are called to represent with our lives, right? To represent Jesus to others as high as the stakes are should cause us a little bit of trembling. And at this point, I think we should feel just a little bit overwhelmed. <laughs> I know it's weird to say during a sermon, but we should feel just a little bit overwhelmed with the task that is put before us to actually demonstrate rightly all that Jesus has done in our lives. That is a task we can't possibly do. But that's why this doesn't end here. That's why verse 12 isn't the only verse. In fact, he continues on, verse 13. He says, we are called to work out our salvation, but it is by God's power. Verse 13 says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So Paul says to the church, all right, I want you to work on it. I want you, I want you to discipline yourself, exercise yourself so that your salvation is being seen in your life. And how are you going to do that? It's going to be by God's power, not your own. It's going to be because God is at work in your life. It's because God is going to give you not only the, the will, the, the desire to actually follow him, he's going to give you the ability to do that. Both of those things are from God, right? Ezekiel uses the language of taking out a heart of stone and giving us a new heart, Right? God, God actually changes the things that, that we desire, that we want, gives us a, a brand new heart. Or Paul writes in Romans, he says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Right? He's talking about these, these sinful desires that we have, and he says, now put them to death. 
put them to death. Don't, don't wait for them to die. Don't just sit there and say, well, eventually it's going to be gone and I don't know, right? No, put them to death. Take some effort, take some action to get rid of these sins in your life, but do it by the Spirit. You can't do it outside of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. That is necessary for you, right? In fact, it's not either you do something or God does something, but we are called to work together. See, every once in a while, you, you hear this story, someone who comes to Christ, and they come from, you know, a really rough background, and they've got all kinds of things in their life, and, and they come to Jesus, and it's just miraculous, right? God just takes some of those things away with. The things they were really struggling with are just gone. The next day, it seems like there was never a hint or a trace of that. Those are amazing things when God does it, and it's, it's we should be thankful. We should praise him for when it happens. But the far more ordinary course of events, the far more normal thing that God does in our lives is actually call us to, to work on it by the power of the Spirit to begin to put to death some of these sinful desires and practices and habits that we have ingrained into our lives to work on these things to put on display Jesus. So that God would actually be the first and the very last. That he would be praised because he gave us the desire, he gave us the ability, and it's actually, Paul writes, for his glory. Look at the end of verse, uh, verse 13. He says, to work for his good pleasure. That is, it all ends in glory to God. So, so what does that actually look like, though? Right? We said we wanted to be practical here. So what does it practically look like to, to depend on God's power? Because that's kind of a weird thing to say, isn't it? Work in someone else's strength, you know, serve in someone else's energy. How do we do that? So really practically, let me just give you three steps. It's not hard. Number one, start in prayer. Start by praying. If God is the one who's going to give, it, give us this ability, we certainly need to start by talking to him. Say, God, you know what? My heart doesn't even want to do this at times. I don't even want to, to follow through and obey, but God, I just need you to change my heart. Give me the ability to actually follow through. Then, number two, get up and obey. Stand up and actually do it. Put it into practice. I know that sounds just like we're doing it ourselves, but what we're going to find is that we aren't strong enough, but as we obey God, oh, does he give us enough strength. Oh, does he give us enough grace. You know, my, my experience has always been that, that God usually gives me the ability in the moment rather than beforehand. Beforehand, God says, I need you to trust and obey, and as I do so, he gives me all of the grace and the energy to go through. And then afterwards, step three, go back to him in prayer. Thank him for his faithfulness, for his work in your life, for giving you not only the desire, but also for the ability to follow him. All right, that's where Paul brings us, to work for his good pleasure. The end result of us working out our salvation by the power of God is that he might be glorified, that he would be put on display. See, that is the, the, that's the grand picture. That's the big, you know, thousand aerial foot aerial view down of what God is calling us to do, of how we should respond to Jesus. That is, put our faith, 
put our, disp- our salvation on display in our lives by God's power and for His glory. See, that's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what we are called to do. But here's the moment when we say, okay, Okay, I, I get that. That's, that's the big picture. You know, that, that's the, the, the schematic of what we're supposed to do. But, but what do I do tomorrow morning? Or for that matter, what do I do this afternoon? How do I actually put that into practice? And actually, that's exactly what Paul goes on to say, right? I've just called it humility on display. Verse 14, he writes. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, or arguing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Right? You'd almost think that Paul here has just changed topics, as if suddenly he's now just talking about something completely else, but actually what he's doing is he's saying, all right, I gave you the big view, here's what to do tomorrow. Stop complaining. Stop grumbling as you go to work, as you go to church. Stop arguing about every single little thing as if your way has to be the only way. That's why we talked about humility. It's because humility is needed to be looking out for the needs of others before our own. And, And I think this is actually quite difficult or a lot more difficult than we might think at first. Think about just going to to work. Right, going to work and just the conversations that happen in, in the staff room or, or, you know, just around lunchtime, whatever it is. Think about how often complaining comes into that conversation. All the time, doesn't it? We complain about so much. In fact, it's easy to, to think about things that we have to complain We'll complain about the work, we'll complain about our boss, we'll complain about the pay that we get, we complain about the taxes that come off of our paycheck, we'll complain about our customers, our clients, we complain about the weather, we complain about politics, we complain about everything. It flows out all the time. In fact, it's, it's naturally just what we do. We complain about all kinds of things. In fact, it's Yeah, it's just standard in most conversations. And so Paul writes to the church and he says, you are not to look like that. Your speech is going to be different in the church. The church is meant to stand out like a light in a dark world. It's meant to be seen and noticeable in the fact that you look and sound different, right? In fact, Paul's language here should remind us a little bit of the Israelites, Right, do you remember the story of them as they come out of slavery in Egypt? It's all the way back in the book of Exodus. God delivers them out of Egypt, opens the Red Sea. They walk across on dry land, closes it back up on the Egyptian army as they try and recapture them. It's this beautiful, amazing redemption that God works, the salvation he has. And he says, I'm going to lead you now through a desert. I'm going to feed you the whole way, and I'm going to bring you into a promised land that will be your own. Well, a week later, after God has brought them out of slavery, what are they doing? They're complaining. They're grumbling. They're saying, oh, the food here is horrible. At least back in Egypt, we had good food. I mean, it's amazing how quickly that crept back in. God had just worked one of the most spectacular things they had ever seen in their lives for generations, and yet, a week later, they're grumbling and complaining. They're saying, oh, it was so much better back there. 
do we not get caught into that same line of thinking? We live in one of the most beautiful places on earth, and yet we complain because it rains too much, right? We, we travel. We can travel thousands and thousands of kilometers in a short period of time, but we complain about the one-hour delay that our plane had, right? We, we have all kinds of things to complain about, and I'm going to say it has far more to do with what's in our heart than what's going on in our circumstances, Right? It's an indicator of what's going on in here, not what is going on outside. And so, Paul says, if you're going to work out your salvation, that means it's going to change the way you talk. It's going to change what you talk about, even. Church is going to look different. Now, hear me. Let me just take one quick aside before we continue on with that. And, and that is, this isn't talking about saying you have to bottle everything up. Because sometimes that's what people think here, right? They, they say, okay, you can't complain. You just got to bottle everything up, and eventually it's going to explode, and it's going to be horrible. No, that's not what Paul is talking about. He's not saying that if you notice something in the church, in this church, that you can't say anything, or that you have to somehow keep it quiet. No, actually, what this is saying is go talk to the right person, right? Do, do what Jesus talks about in Matthew 18. If you see a problem, go talk to that person directly. Maybe that means you come talk to me. That's great. Please do, right? The, the worst thing that can happen is that we start gossiping and we start complaining and grumbling in the background because that becomes a cancer to the church, right? For every, for every church that, 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 you know, closes its doors in some horrific scandal, right? The, the pastor was committing adultery. The church was embezzling funds and it becomes this massive media scandal and the whole thing crashes down. For every one time that happens, there are a hundred churches that are closing its doors because in the background, the poison of grumbling and complaining has been spreading through everything. This isn't a call to say, you know what, stop giving feedback. Stop, you know, thinking about how we can improve. No, it's, it's a call to put it in its right place. Come talk to the right person, right? The church is meant to look differently it's meant to be a place where we can actually be open and honest with one another. And instead of just grumbling all the time, instead of just constant complaining, what we see is actually that turns into joy, that our complaining is replaced by rejoicing. Paul ends this whole section here in verse 18. He says, likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Right? The opposite of, of grumbling and complaining is to be thankful to rejoice and be glad for what God has given, for how much he has given to us. See, that's the difference that the gospel ought to make in our lives as we work out that salvation. It's that we realize, you know what? I woke up today and I didn't have to. It's because God let me. I came here because I had enough strength to get here. I have clothes on my back because God has blessed me with a job where I can make money, with skills that he has given me, and education, and all the rest. It's all gifts from God. I am so thankful for what God has done. See, that's the difference that the gospel is intended to make in our lives. So how do we do that? Again, let's be very practical. How, how, do we, how do we go from, from grumbling, complaining, to actually being thankful, rejoicing, and praising God? Paul gives us the answer in verse 16. He says, by holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. 
Paul says, I'm looking forward to this day. I'm going to stand before Jesus at, at, at the final throne, and, and I'm going to be proud of you as this church because you have been a good representation of Jesus Christ, right? L like a parent who is watching their child, right? There's this pride that comes, not, not a selfish kind of pride, but a proud because of their doing so well. Paul says, that's what I am anticipating for you. That's what I'm looking forward for you. So how is it going to happen? Holding fast to the word of life, holding on to the word of God, actually filling our minds with scripture instead of complaining, turning it to rejoicing. See, I think just naturally, if we spend all of our time thinking, hearing, you know, all kinds of, of complaining around us, and we just fill our minds with negativity, is it any wonder that what we talk about becomes negative? Of course not. And so in the same way, just very naturally, as we fill our minds with the Scripture, it's not surprising that what starts coming out is more and more joyful and rejoicing because of what God has done. And the truth is, I have to say, in this day and age, we have no excuse, do we? Not to be in the Word of God. We have, we have Bibles everywhere. We have translations like crazy. You can just open your phone and find 15 different translations of the Word of God. You can find Bible study apps. You can find sermons and podcasts and study materials. There is so many ways. There are myriads and myriads of different things you can find to know the Word of God. I think the problem is our discipline. Sometimes we just don't actually try. We're waiting for the bar to lift. And so here's what I'm going to say. All of those things are good, but, but they will never replace, and you have to do this the old-fashioned way, actually memorizing the Word of God. Right? Paul says, holding fast, not having access to. We all have access to. He's talking about actually holding it, knowing it, trusting it, actually depending on it in our lives. It means we actually need to know it. We need to remember it past what we've read in the morning and then it's gone 30 seconds later. We need to take time to meditate in that and actually know what the Word of God has for us. Now hear me, I, I am not great at that either. I struggle to memorize it and what that means, I need people to hold me accountable. I need people in my life who, who are going to be holding me accountable to actually be doing these things, to be holding fast to the word of God so that my speech might not be complaining, but it might be rejoicing, that I might be working out my salvation by God's power and for his glory. See, that is what Paul is calling the church to do. Fill your mind with the word of God. Let it overflow into your actions that we might be blameless, lights in a watching world, that God might be glorified. See, that's what it means to respond to Jesus. It starts simply, stop complaining. Start focusing on, on what God has given you, on all of the amazing things God has done. Open your Bibles Read, memorize, understand, dwell in, meditate in what God has done and what he is doing now, and let that overflow into the outworking in your life. So this morning as we close, let, let me invite the worship team to come forward again. And as they do, I just want to invite you to consider how, how are you being called to respond? 
What does it mean for you to actually respond to Jesus? Maybe you're here, you've never trusted Jesus. Actually, what we're talking about here is, is what we do as we trust Jesus, but maybe you're saying, I don't know if I ever have to begin with. Let me encourage you, come talk to me, come talk to someone here that you know. Actually, find out more about what it is that Jesus has done and this salvation that we are so excited to share. Maybe you're here and you're saying, you know, I've I've trusted Jesus, but it's been a long time since it made an impact. It's been a while since it actually changed what I did, what I do. And maybe that means you need to find someone who's going to hold you accountable. Maybe you need to get involved in a life group. Maybe it means you actually need to open up and say, here's some of the sins that have been in my life, and I need your help. Can you help me? Maybe it means we simply need to watch our speech. Say, you know, I, I've been complaining a lot. I, I, I normally look at the negative, and actually God calls me to rejoice and be glad for everything he has done. I, I think it's a good time just to consider how are we pursuing God? What disciplines in our life have we been letting uh, go to the side, especially over summer? But hear me, I, I want the greatest joy for you this summer. It's not going to come from the weather. It's not going to come from barbecues, though they're great. It's going to come from knowing God, from focusing on what he has done and what he has given to you. So let that be our focus this morning as well. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much. Thank you that you have worked into us our salvation, Lord, that it was not our effort, but it was your grace. What Jesus has done is our salvation. And so, Father, I pray, would we be found faithful to now exercise, put into practice what you have done for us. I ask that you would give us the strength for that. Give us the desire, Lord. Change our hearts even now that we might long to follow after you, that our our speech might be transformed. No longer are, are we focused on everything that we lack, but we are joyfully rejoicing in all that you have given. Father, I pray, change our lives that we might reflect you well. We ask these things in your name. Amen.